Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. That he is indeed God of the living and not of the dead cannot help but be right in front of us this weekend. In the first place, this is Veterans Day weekend. Thank you for those of you who have served. The first thing you have to do when you join the service is cross a threshold that says, I am ready to die. I'm ready to die for my country. I'm ready to die for people whose freedom we are we are promoting. I'm ready to die for those who are alongside me. Thank you for those of you who have crossed that threshold on, the, on behalf of all the rest of us. And last week was All Saints Sunday. We read the names of 39 people, 39 dear friends and family members who have gone on to be with the Lord during just this last year. Including Ben Lane, our amazing cathedral musician. Frank Miller, humble servant of our beloved Mabel Sturgis, who herself had lived to 106. And this week, and I know many of you know this, but many of you may not, our dear, dear brother Joe Franus, 98 years old, his blood pressure just went south and wouldn't come back up, and he just, he had a very soft landing, but he landed. Quick with a smile and his seer sucker jacket. <laughs> The love of Jesus prompting him to remember the names of and ask about even my kids who've never been a part of my journey into cathedral life. I will never be able to walk down that aisle without imagining his smile. And given the gravity of the question of death and God being the God of the living, it's, it's insulting to watch the Sadducees make a trick question out of what's on the other side. And I come away from today's gospel passage and epistles passage with three promises. Promise one, because of Jesus' resurrection and our share in his resurrection, every frailty fades away. Promise two, you get there by God's choice and God's calling. And three, there's the promise that meanwhile, there's strength for you and me for each day's journey, each day's adventure. So first, promise one, every frailty fades away. Let me cut through the fog that the Sadducees are, are putting up. 
The law that they're appealing to in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 6, was one that was designed to protect the mortality, was, was necessary for the sake of our mortality. If, and the law was, if a brother is married, if a brother has a brother and that brother dies before leaving his wife and an heir or his family an heir, he's obligated to step in and marry her. This happened seven times over in this made-up story, but that's, the point is that provision was made in view of our frailty, the frailty of mortality. The Leveret Law, which is what it was called, was designed to make up for the frailty of our mortality. And there is a bit of a threat to a family's, family line's existence if a husband dies before providing an heir. Even so, Jesus knows his interrogators aren't seriously interested in the question. They just want to show how ludicrous hope for life after death is. Jesus counters that their imaginations are way too small. God didn't make us to just go poof. Even our sin can't cancel out God's commitment to life. What Jesus has been telling his disciples and what he knows his questioners simply aren't ready to hear is that he himself will rise from the dead as down payment and promise of the rising of all who belong to him into an existence where there is no pain, no sickness, no mortality, no need to worry about family lines because we'll all be in the family line, God's sons, God's daughters, God's heirs. A place where there's a new and different kind of intimacy that now we can scarcely imagine and about which no speculation is necessary, whereas the Italian poet Dante, centuries later, will put it, where God's will is our good. And so I find myself reflecting from today's gospel passage on where is it that I experience frailty now? A body that betrays me? Am I too short, too tall, too stout, too skinny? Is my hair too curly? Which it really was when I was in middle school. For some people, is it, is it too straight? Is my skin too flabby so that nobody will respect me? Or am I maybe so buff that the only way people can know me is through envy? They can't really know me. Come on, that's worth at least a chuckle. <laughs> am, am I out of the circle of the cool kids? Are my best years behind me? Or will they never come? Well, why can't I find my place? 
What's my thing? What do I have to offer? Does anybody get me? Does anybody care about getting me? Will anybody listen? Or does everybody expect more of me than I have to give? In the existence that Jesus promises, either the frailty disappears or is redeemed to take on a luster and a beauty that to us now is inconceivable. If even now, as Paul says elsewhere, we shine like stars in the world, how much more so with new bodies, whether stout, skinny, tall, short, whatever, curly, not curly, with new bodies, how much more will we shine on a new earth and under new heavens? That's what he's talking about. Everybody's body is re-mattered. Everybody matters. And there everybody will know it. And at the center of it is one who by death has conquered death, who by taking every frailty has made frailty into strength. For promises two and three, we turn to Luke's traveling companion, the Apostle Paul, in the letter that he wrote to the Thessalonians from which we read today. Promise two is how you get there? You get there by God's choice and God's calling. Now, as good Greeks, the Thessalonians, to whom Paul's writing, would have had no, I mean zero, expectations of life beyond death. The most popular funeral inscription of the day was, I was not, I am not, I will not be, it doesn't matter. In Latin, it got shortened to three little phrases, non fui, non sum, non curo. I wasn't, I am, don't care. Imagine walking through those cemeteries, looking at those tombstones. These Thessalonians, coming from a pagan background, the gospel had awoken in them a hope of resurrection that their culture had not prepared them for. And they held on to it despite being told that the world around them was going to go from bad to worse. In fact, Paul writes this letter about a rebellion and a self-idolizing man of lawlessness yet to come to tell them in case they were getting the wrong idea that things aren't bad enough yet. And 2,000 years later, despite all the self-idolizers and the spirit of rebellion all around us, it still seems to be the case Things haven't gotten bad enough yet for him to come back in glory and for us to be taken up into that glory. Still, despite every reason not to believe, our Thessalonian friends believe that they belong to him. 
Now, many of us would like the conceit of belonging or thinking that we belong to Him by our own choice and our own call. Trust me. Well, actually, trust the Apostle. None of us would choose Him if He didn't choose us first. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But we must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits. And the original text just may have been chose you from the beginning. He chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. And for this purpose, He called you through our proclamation of the good news so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul gives thanks. Why? Because God loved you. Because God chose you. Because God called you. Here's the deal. God loved you first. He grabbed your hand before you grabbed his. His grip is stronger than yours. And even if you let go, he won't. He loved you first. And he will love you to the end. And that end will be glory. Well, preacher, how do you know that? I don't know how I know. I just know. I know it for me, and I know it for you. And notice the first thing Paul said about it. We must always give thanks to God for you. And so I do. I give thanks for you, for each one of you. Promise three. Meanwhile, there's strength for each day's journey, making each day's journey an adventure. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. As Paul, as profound as his writings are, his prayers are maybe even more profound. As he prays, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and through grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, may he comfort your hearts, and here's the punchline, strengthen them, strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. As long as it shall be my privilege to serve here, I will look up and I will see Ben Lane playing to the glory of God, oblivious to the fame his gifts merited. Every time I walk down this aisle, and see where Frank Miller quietly and humbly nested himself in that back corner. 
I will remember a man who gave himself to serve his hundred-year-old friend, that her last years may know joy. And whenever I walk up this aisle, I'll see smiling Joe Franis in his seersucker jacket, recalling so fondly that day when he got a hole-in-one, finally at age 96, glibly quipping, but not my last. <laughs> Knowing, no doubt, that it probably was. But even better, knowing that that was okay, because he knew and now knows for sure that in Jesus Christ, greater glory was just ahead. So friends, as the Lord strengthened each of these brothers for every one of their good works and good words, may he amply do so for you as well. And now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or even think, to him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church now and forever. Amen.